Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Musician's Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Travis Mark, and today we're talking to one of my all-time favorite producers, actually. Uh, His name is Taylor Tatch. He's a mixing engineer, musician, producer based out of Texas. He's the guitarist and singer for a band called Shadows of Jets, which I've linked in the show notes. He also plays for Cutthroat Finches. And as a producer, he has worked with and um, collaborated with artists such as Jetta and the Ghost Tree, which you may not have heard of, but you should check out their record. It is phenomenal. Flicker Stick, Marin Morris, and a host of others. Um, Taylor and I connected not quite sure, maybe about a year or so back uh, when he was doing some mixing engineer work for me. And I'm just a fan of the guy. I love his work ethic. I love his attitude. I love the way he perceives and conceives musical ideas, shall we say. So we're going to jump straight into it. But as usual, if you're enjoying these, please do me a favor and give us a rating or a review. It helps us get found a little bit easier. And also, don't forget to give us a follow or a like or a share via social media. It helps us get found and we really appreciate that. Anyway, enough from me. Ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you Audio Style's very own Taylor Tetch. Hey, dude. Hey, how's it going? I'm good. How you doing? Just fine, thanks. Good, good, good. Um, well, well, let's hit it, man. Um, basically, cool. what we're going to do here, I don't know if you've listened to any of the other episodes. It's it's pretty new. But um, what we're going to do is we're going to just have a an unedited conversation, um, mm-hmm. m- mostly about music and the music industry and, and working within the music industry. And I figured it'd be so cool to talk to you because you've obviously got a few different twists and turns within your career. Um, mm-hmm. and I've, I've got a couple things noted down and we'll get to it. But, um, what I've been doing with everybody, as I've mentioned to you prior is, um, I've, I ask everybody to just do a little bit of a, a brief introduction as to who you are so that anybody listening straight off the bat kind of knows who I'm talking to. So Taylor, mm-hmm. if you wouldn't mind, just give us a brief intro. Well, uh, my name is Taylor Tatch and I am a, uh, a recording engineer uh, slash producer slash um, musician, guitarist um, slash singer, and uh, and so I um, I run a recording studio here in um, right now. I'm in Fredericksburg, Texas, and um, you know just trying to uh, you know make a living and uh, you know do the best work I possibly can. And on that note, not to sound biased, but uh, you happen to be one of my favorite producers slash engineers. Um, oh, thank you very I much. First, I first came to know you through the Jet and the Ghost Tree record uh, mm-hmm. many years ago, but obviously you've done a lot of other things and we'll talk about that. But let's uh-huh. kind of backtrack a little bit. How old were you when you were kind of first bitten by the musical bug? And furthermore, on that sort of topic... At what point in your life did you kind of figure out that this is what you wanted to do as a career? I guess I kind of figured that figured that out pretty early on. Um, 
I, uh, I grew up in a small town, uh, down in South Texas and, um, you know, there, there weren't a lot of people to play with down there and, but I really loved playing the guitar. Um, kind of my first influences were probably, you know, George Strait cause he was big down in South Texas. Um, and then I quickly got into the Beatles like everybody does, but I, you know, I was pretty young. Uh, really liked their early stuff. I think I had that uh, that little the red cassette, um, you know, compilation that had all the early stuff on it. And uh, you know, I really was gravitated to harmonies and uh, and the cool production things that were going on. So, you know, I was taking guitar lessons. You know, probably by the age of seven or eight, and uh, you know, just really, really into music and. You know, uh, when I was in high school, my parents got me a, uh, or I guess I was in middle school, actually, they got me a four-track Tascam recorder, you know, cool. those Porter Studio things. Yeah. And uh, and so I really, really loved it. And, uh, you know, finally I could, you know, start layering things together and, you know, and I was really gravitated to, you know, to how the, the Beatles put together recordings and uh, other bands like the Eagles and Led Zeppelin and, you know, a lot of classic rock stuff. And basically I just, uh, was trying to figure out how to, you know, how to get, you know, how to get ideas down and get them to sound as good as possible. And so, you know, learning about George Martin and learning about how much of a, uh, you know, like a, a big presence a producer has, you know, in making records and yeah. all that, um, you know, and so I, I was just, you know, trying to, you know, produce things on my own. And, um, you know, I just kind of did that all the way until I got into college and, and finally started playing with other people. But that was always in the back of my mind that, that that's kind of what I wanted. You know, I really like the creative part of being in the studio and I really like playing live. But, you know, I in the back of my mind, it was always like, well, this is a career that that could you know, sustain me into my forties, you know? Yeah. And, you know, because being a guitarist and, uh, and a singer, you know, you're kind of, um, you know, you'll age out of that kind of quickly, you know, yeah. unless you've already made it really big. And, um, you know, I got into college and was in some bands and we went to a legitimate recording studio with, uh, Todd and Toby pipes, uh, from deep blue something. And, you know, and I was just sitting there watching them, what they did. And, you know, we paid them to <laughs> to record us. And I was just thinking, man, what a cool gig. You know, bands come in and they, they pay they pay you to record and you get to be creative. And then, and then they leave and then you get to do it again with another band. And you have all these opportunities, you know, to make records and you have all opportunities for success. You know, when you're in a band or you're a, a singer-songwriter, you kind of you bank everything on that one project and you know, you push it for a number of years and then you're like, all right, cool. Let's, let's break this band up or I want to go solo or whatever. And then you have to push that. And then before you know it, you're in your thirties, forties, you know? So I was just, I felt like, well, I have an opportunity here to, you know, to be on a lot of records, to, to work on a lot of records that possibly could get, you know, popular or have some success or something like that. And I just, I always felt like from the beginning that that was a, a pretty, good career to to get into and you know really just came down to enjoying the creative process 
And is that is that what you actually went to college for? Did you study audio engineering or did you go for something else? Well, um, you know, this was kind of before Full Sail and those types of, you know, specialized recording um, schools, you know, degree schools, those types of things. So I, I just kind of, when I went to UNT, I went to University of North Texas and I went um, to, to do jazz studies, but, um, you know, coming from a small town, you're not as good as you think you are. You know, <laughs> you could be the cool guitar player around the area um, or a good guitar. I wouldn't say I was cool. I was definitely not cool, but, um, <laughs> but, you know, you get to UNT and you realize, oh, all these guys are so much better. They've had so much more experience. And uh, and I just didn't really feel like I wanted to do jazz anyways. You know, like if you're not the best jazz guitar player, you know, best jazz guitarist, you're going to be teaching, you know. Yeah. And teaching is a great profession. My, both my parents are teachers. Um, but I never really caught the teaching bug. And... Um, and so I switched from jazz studies to um, radio, TV, film, because that was the closest thing they had to audio production. You know, you could take some audio production classes. Um, but, you know, in college, I basically just started recording bands out of my house. And uh, one of the first bands that I recorded uh, was called Space Cadet. And they were a, a Dallas band that was just kind of getting started at the time. And, you know, I recorded them in our house, you know, on some pretty terrible microphones and uh, in a pretty terrible room. But um, John Kirtland from Deep Blue Something had started up a record label and he wanted to, he heard the the songs that we did and he wanted to sign them. And, and he had a friend in LA who owned Trauma Records and, um, and he got them signed to Trauma Records, which was the label that No Doubt and Bush were on. Yeah. And uh, and so that was a, a fun little, you know, dipping your toe into the business side, you know, of all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and also really cool. I mean, if you were kind of doing that all out of your house with novice microphones and stuff like that, and you still got the results to get them that kind of conclusion, that's quite something. Mm -hmm. It's actually, it's it always makes me... Um, quite interested this particular topic because <clears throat> excuse me i've got a few engineer friends and i obviously mm -hmm. dabble a little bit in that sort of world as well not as much as you but well you're very good at it. you know you meet you meet a lot of guys and i suppose this is no different to musical instruments there seems to be a little bit of a, a stigma with gear you know, and a lot mm -hmm. of guys seem to have this, if you're not playing such and such a piece of gear, you're not going to be any good. Or if you don't have this preamp, you're not going to be any good. Or, you know, and, yeah. and I understand that good gear makes good recordings, but I think the perception is slightly falsified by people who believe that that's the only way it works. Because with a decent enough ear, and enough attention to detail, I think you can get really good results. I mean, that Billie Eilish album that blew up a couple of years ago, that kind of proved that. So I think if anyone doubts that you need, you know, or that you can't get a good result on novice gear is, I think they need to relook at that, you know? It's not always the case. No doubt about it. It's, um, you know, one of the more depressing and soul-sucking things is to get on those audio forums, you know, where these guys that are... You know, they're cork sniffing over this preamp and that preamp and these microphones and, 
you know, and you're like, well, what the hell have you done? You know, like, <laughs> true, you can, you know, and some have done a lot of cool things too, but I, you know, you're missing the forest for the trees, I think. I, with gear, I think uh, you need good gear. You need the best gear that you can afford. Yeah. Um, but beyond that, you know, especially in this day and age where, you know, I, I was lucky enough to um, be a part of some records where there was a producer and an engineer. You oh, know? cool. And you, and you didn't ask the engineer about content. You know, mm. I remember talking to the engineer. I was like, was that a good take? And he's like, don't ask me, ask that guy. Hmm. And the producer, likewise, you know, didn't touch any of the gear, you know, and he wasn't, he didn't pick the microphones. He didn't, you know, in the very, um, you know, compartmentalized um, uh, roles, you know, like they, they didn't cross, you know, I guess if the producer was like, oh, that's too bassy or too, you know, whatever, then the engineer would fix it or change it. But, you know, nowadays it's, I mean, even all the way to the top, it's, it's pretty much a producer slash engineer, you know, doing the same job. And yeah. I think that if you, if you go into it, you know, only focusing on the engineering and, you know, spending three hours trying to get your kick drum sound or a whole day, you know, or whatever, you know, you, you hear those stories about the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, you know, spending days just getting a drum sound and, yeah. and that's all well and good. Those are fantastic drum sounds, but you know, in my experience working with bands, you can really kill a vibe by sitting there, you know, tweaking on something and they've played five takes and you're like, okay, let's start recording now. And they're like, well, we already just gave you our best stuff, yeah, you know? Yeah, so I try to get that in, I try to get that engineering out of the way as quickly as possible, trust my gear, um, use the mic techniques and the, uh, um, the recording techniques that I know work, um, do a few things that are that are fun and, and innovative per, you know, per project. I really do like to try new things and stuff like that. But if you get bogged down in the uh, engineering stuff of it, you know, too much, then you really kill the vibe. And really what, you know, as long as there's no problem with how you're recording everything, you need to get down to content pretty quickly. You yeah. know, yeah. you just you need to put on the producer hat and uh, take off the engineering hat and really get into uh, what's coming through the mics because that's that's way more of a of a you know of a that's that's what's important really. I mean, you know, we can think all day long about how amazing some of these microphones were back in the in the '60s and '50s and '70s and all that, and but you know when you think about the the how they were being forced to record you know they they had very limited tracks they had oh yeah tape tape machines that were extremely noisy they had gear that was extremely noisy and they had limitations too you know mm. and at some point you got to get down to content and yeah. right now I, I mean even your you know a 500 hundred dollar microphone um is going to have way less noise, you know, than, yeah. than what they would have back in the day. And you're not dealing with the tape machine, just adding tons of tape hiss on top of everything. And, you know, with digital, you can just, it's clear. It's, you know, you're listening back exactly, you know, theoretically exactly how you're recording it. So it takes a lot of the burden off of the engineering side of it. I think you can really get bogged down in the engineering and, and you know, lose the forest for the trees. Yeah, I agree, man. And and you know, again, I've I've said in some of these um, episodes prior, like I'm a big believer in each to their own, 
you know, with everything. Yeah. But but I do believe that, you know, and I think if you're recording a band or or even if you're the guy in the studio being recorded, mm-hmm. it's like you say, man, once that energy's gone, oh, it sucks, man. And they're trying to get the best I performance know. out of you. And and you know what always put me off a lot with studios and and you know, I again I know that it, it is a thing for a lot of guys, but I remember yeah. going to the studio the first time, I must have been like fifteen, sixteen, and my band had won this like crazy big battle of the bands in the area that I grew up in. And they spent thousands on, on putting us in the studio. That was the prize. And we were really yeah. excited only to get to the studio. And I'd never, never actually realized that a lot of the studios had those big digital clocks. And, mm-hmm. you know, we knew we only had a certain amount of hours per day and yeah. we're all new yeah. and we're kids and we're like trying to do the best thing we can, but like we just see this mm-hmm. clock counting down and the, it puts so much pressure on us that I can't even listen to that first recording. You know, it's just oh, like, totally. it's it's just like, I hate it. And I, I kind of, I yeah. just think that vibe, you know, it's like you say, the vibe, the energy, it's it's so important, you know, so yeah, it man. It really is. So, so let's talk about, you know, I mean, I know you're still playing and I know you're still, still gigging and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But I know the engineering thing is more of your thing. But mm-hmm. was there a point in your career where perhaps you, you felt like you had definitely transitioned more from a player to the pr- production side of things? And if so, you know, what would you say to to sort of up and coming producer wannabes or, or home studio producers on trying to just you know, do their thing and believe in themselves enough to, to maybe give it a go if that's what they're trying to do? Well, you know, um, to answer the first part, I, I think probably after my first Denton band, you know, uh, broke up, we kind of gave it a good go. Um, like you said, you know, being in the studio and watching the clock and realizing, oh, we're, we're really spending a lot of money on this. We don't have a lot of time. And, uh, and coming out with a product that, uh, you know, that I didn't really like, and that was no fault of the producers at the time. I mean, we we were really green, you know, no doubt about it. But around that time when I, I you know, I left that band or the band broke up, um, I, I was like, okay, well, what really is going to live on are the recordings, you yeah. know? And so I was like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to really dive into this and uh i had a uh upstairs from bass propulsion labs where where todd and toby from deep blue um had their studio i rented out two rooms you know and they're basically office rooms but one had a you know really tall ceiling and one had a curved wall and you know so it was like okay well these are fun recording spaces and i decided all right well i'm just going to rent these two rooms out i'm going to really work on my craft here and I even recorded a whole record again with Todd and Toby that I never released hmm. uh, because I was still learning, like, what what is it that, like, how am I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, you know, expressing myself in the right way. I'm not, um, you know, when I want something to change engineering-wise, I don't know how to express that. You know, I don't know what I'm talking about. And so I really just dug in and, and tried to learn, like, how do you get, a good drum sound you know mm. how do you record a drum set, drum set the right way you know and i guess there's no real right way but there are definitely some wrong ways and yeah. so how do i avoid the wrong ways you know how do i record guitars how do i record acoustic guitars and and eventually i was just like okay finally i can start doing this by myself you know for myself and of course i was 
recording other bands at the time and recording solo artists and you know god bless them they let me learn while i was doing that Mm. um but i mean to you know to an engineer that wants to jump into it i mean you just gotta have the confidence and um you know and i mean i would say the real thing is relationships i mean there's a (laughs) i wouldn't say it's a real thing that that is a big thing because you can do the engineering and the producing thing but if you can't have the relationship with a band or the artist and make them feel comfortable, then you're again, not going to get good things out of them. Yeah. And, um, so you need that, you need to learn how, um, and sometimes it's learning what not to do, watching other producers, like what he said right there, put that guy in a terrible position, Mm -hmm. you know, like making this stupid joke made that singer very self-conscious, you know, or, Telling the guitar player, yeah, is that what you're going to play? You know, and the guitar player is not going to give you anything after that. You know, <laughs> you got to be positive and you got to assert yourself when necessary. And it's it's still a learning process, you know, because I, I, I'm I always trying to figure out what that line is because I really want to, to represent what the band and the artist is doing, you know, and how they want to express themselves. Um, and then sometimes I hear things that, that are just not going to fly, you know, and I have to speak up like, Hey, we got to do this a a different way, you know? Um, or I have an idea that I think will really help everything to add. And you got to be able to, uh, navigate how to say these things and how to do these things because you can shut a band or an artist off really quick by doing things in the wrong way. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's just a constant learning process. You know, I'm, I've been doing it for 20 plus years and every band, you know, at the end of the session, I'm like, did I do that right? You know, did Hmm. I say, what did I say? You know, did I say the right things to, you know, to get the right, um, to get the right results, you know? And it's funny too, because you watch some, you know, you'll listen to some band say, Oh, this this producer was so headstrong and and he wanted things his way and we we didn't like that and that's why we're not working with him. Yeah, and you're like, okay, well, I don't want to do that. And then sometimes a band will be like, yeah, they we went in and this guy just had a vision and and it turned out amazing and you know, you know, we just did everything he told us to do and turned out amazing. I'm like, okay, well, how how do I reconcile these two things because I you know. I don't want to be Hitler in the recording yeah. session, but at the same time, you know, you can't be passive too, you know, and really what it comes down to is I, I keep thinking about George Martin and how he was that fifth Beatle, you oh, know, without how a doubt. he was just the, without a doubt. how he, he just really, you know, he saw the talent in the band and he just put his little things in that he wanted to do. And, and, you know, he had really good engineers to record them in a unique way and everything like that. So, you know, um, yeah, I guess to someone who's wanting to make that jump, you know, from being a producer into, uh, or I'm sorry, being a singer or guitar player, or instrumentalist into being an engineer. I mean, it's, it's multifaceted. You got to learn how to use your gear. Um, and you got to learn how to uh, get along with the band and have a good rapport. Yeah. And, and, you know, so, so again, here's a, here's a topic that seems to be coming up just constantly. And I'm not just talking to engineers. I've, I've had a, a few drummers on already. I've had a few guitarists, a couple producers, you know, a, a bass player. And mm-hmm. the, the common theme here is always, you know, connections, relationships, personalities. And yeah. I, I suppose the difference with, with say, one guy trying to play in a band with maybe three or four other guys or however mm-hmm. large the band is as a producer, you know, you're, you're trying to deal with 
you you know you might be recording a, an eight piece band today and you've got to learn those different yeah. personalities and then you might be on a mm-hmm. on a three piece tomorrow that have complete different personalities so you've got to find this different balance yeah. and and it's funny that you brought up some of those jokes because you know I've been in studios again where you do you get close with some of the guys but some of the jokes that get made definitely rub certain people the wrong way or or yeah. maybe maybe a player's not as confident as they appear and something uh-huh. something as silly as a are you really going to play that part makes the guy think yeah. that he or she is terrible and before you Absolutely. know it you don't get that recording finished or or, or or he or she doesn't want to play on the rest of the album and it's like what it's it's yeah, crazy they leave the fucking band oh, yeah yeah you know? i've had it happen i mean it's, <laughs> or excuse it's just, me they leave the band <laughs> i know you, you can swear on this it's totally cool um yeah it's just it's just funny because it's like you know musicians are sensitive creatures uh, that's been Absolutely. proven time and time again and you know there are always exceptions to every rule but for mm-hmm. the most part, even the most confident musician has some kind of insecurity and there's usually someone mm-hmm. who can find it. And uh, <laughs> when they do, yeah. oh man, it's a it's a slippery slope and it's never a it good, is terrible. good thing. You know? Yeah, there's some producers that, that rely on that. I mean, they like conflict. They think, you know, oh, these, these particular records were made under duress and this is how you get like a fiery recording and all that. And I'm just like, oh my God. And, you yeah. know, in my experience, if I piss off a band you know, they're probably not going to want to work with me again, you know, or they fucking may break up, yeah. you know? Yeah, and, and, and how uh, terrible to know that you might have been the guy that broke that band up. Oh, that sucks, man. I know, I know, <laughs> I know. No, every band member, I mean, in, you know, and another misconception is, is that like young band members think that, oh, these, you know, top players, they got egos. They're yeah. the, you know, they're the... That is so wrong. Like completely. the, it's is completely the opposite. It's the inexperienced players, the the players that have a chip on their shoulder that know they're not very good, you know. Yeah. But they overcompensate by doing things that are way out of their wheelhouse, you know, or they want to be the loudest in the mix, or they're like, no, that's my snare sound, you know, don't mess with my snare sound or whatever, <laughs> or no, why are you making me play this guitar? That's not my guitar, you know. Yeah. They're the that those are the, the the guys with the egos i guarantee you if as i've gotten better and better um at what i'm doing and and uh and had the chance to record better and better musicians the better musicians have zero ego yeah they're like hey man i want you to 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 make this better you yeah. know like make me sound better if you want me to play that strat i'll play the strat you Completely. know Hey, my amp, my amp's good, but man, if you've got a better, if you've got a, if you want me to do this on a Vox, let's do it on a Vox. And same thing with drummers. They're like, man, you know, I, whatever snare sound we're going for, you know, I want you to help me with that. And, yeah. the, you know, and I think so much uh, conflict arises from insecurity, you know, and I think that's, that's something that, you know, um, inexperienced musicians and inexperienced engineers and producers you know, need to be self um, aware of that and realize when they're being egotistical and realize that we are all on the same team. You know, we're all trying to make the best product possible and we all want to make some money at the end of the day. So, you know, let's, let's be on the same team. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's for the song, you know, and that's, that's going back to the Beatles. That's what made them so great. It's like, Mm -hmm. 
Okay, I mean, I, I know that there's lots of stories about the Beatles out there, and I'm sure you probably watched the Get Back um, series totally, that totally. came out. And like, you know, there's yeah. there's different opinions on certain behaviors mm-hmm. in that that sort of documentary, obviously. But the bottom line is, man, the the songs. It, you take yeah. the Beatles' worst song, and it's still, in my opinion, a masterpiece. <laughs> you know, I love that band. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can, you can see how, uh, George Harrison, you know, he was being marginalized, yeah. you know, in the Beatles and not really given the time of day. And obviously, you know, you have two really headstrong and super talented songwriters already in the band, Yeah, but you know, and it's funny, you know, in that documentary, you saw George leave the band, yeah. you know, but he walked back in and yeah. he swallowed his pride and not only finished that record, um, you know, when they did Abbey Road, I mean, he saved that record. Oh, you know, his songs are absolutely amazing. And that Abbey Road wouldn't have been what it what it is without George Harrison's contributions. Oh, totally. And if he if he was just a, a fiery asshole, pissed everybody off, their record wouldn't have gotten done. Probably oh, yeah. the the rec, you know, Get Back or the or Let It Be album wouldn't have gotten done in the same way too. So, but he had that maturity to be like, okay, well, I'm here to serve a purpose. I can also have my solo project later or whatever but i'm i'm part of this group and we're focused on a goal you know and we'll get to the finish line yeah if we all just play ball you know you you know what else i loved about that um that documentary especially being a drummer is you know you often hear these comments again i usually think it's more of an insecurity thing than anything else but mm-hmm. i've heard so much negativity towards Ringo Starr during my life you know like people don't think Ringo's a good drummer uh, which I completely disagree (laughs) with but that documentary for any drummer listening you can learn so much from Ringo because he basically Mm -hmm. just stays out of the drama the whole time he just he shows up on time he leaves at the end of the day doesn't get involved Mm -hmm. it's like what a good lesson for a musician to learn you know yeah, yeah, and just playing some badass stuff oh, all yeah. the time. He's you know, iconic it. drum parts. Killer. Yeah, just killing it. Yeah, and he may not be, you know, uh, Vinnie Caliuta or whatever technically and all that stuff, but he's 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 everything they need, and he's more than they need. You know, he's he's making iconic parts um, to all these songs. Yeah, and uh, you know, without being super flashy. Yeah. Um, just, you know, every, that's just a, I know they only lasted for like eight years, but I mean, when they were together, that was just like, just, and with a producer in there, I mean, it's just such a machine of like, this is uh, just a crossroads of creativity and yeah. work. I mean, again, and they, it wasn't like, oh, well, we'll go into the studio for, you know, three months and, you know, we'll f around for you know most of that and you know it's like they showed up at 10 o'clock you yeah. know it's like their job they Shoot showed it, up like and they, yeah. they yeah and they and they got down to work and they and they just made great stuff and i know they had their personal things but you know one thing that that you can see just by that documentary is and when they're there all together they're focused on what they're doing and yeah there's so many distract that's that's one of the things that i really like about um you know having a location studio like i do kind of out in the country is that I think if I were in town and there's all these distractions of girlfriends and boyfriends and, oh, we got to get to the club and we got to, we're playing tonight and all that stuff. And it's just like, I really enjoy being out of, out of the, 
out of all that and the band is staying here yeah, and everyone's cool. just focused on what we're doing, you know? Yeah, that's super I like cool. having, yeah, without having any of those distractions. So so let's use that as a little bit of a segue. Um, we were talking about how they, they sort of showed up on time and treated it like a job. Mm-hmm. What do you, or, or maybe what tips, let's use that phrase instead, what tips would you give people on how to stay motivated as a musician or a producer especially when you are essentially self-employed. You know, you're not having to go somewhere nine to five every day and get your salary at the end of each month. You have to potentially hustle yeah. and do a few different things to to make your salary. Mm-hmm. What do you do to stay motivated? Well, uh, I guess from a producer engineer standpoint, um, you know, if you find that you're not working as much as you want, then go out and see some bands, you know, um, go out and meet, singer songwriters go and research okay who who's playing tonight and who you know because i found if you just message them or email them you know that's not quite the same as um you know being there you know and having that face-to-face relationship because there's nothing like a band gets off stage and you introduce yourself like man that was really great um you know let's have a discussion on you know recording you know when who are y'all recording with? Do y'all, I love those new songs that you said you had that y'all are working on. And, um, it's not really like stoking the ego, but putting, you know, but to let them know that you are into their band Mm. and, uh, you know, the same thing with the singer songwriter, like you, I really see something that, you know, that I really like, and I would love to work with you. This is a situation I have going on over here. Um, you know, I think that we can make some really great stuff, you know, if, um, you know, and just having those conversations like that is a lot better than like, you know, cold calling bands and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and then I guess just having your longevity is, is a, you know, you, you do get frustrated from time to time, but focusing on the positive things or, you know, and not focusing on anybody else. Like, cause if I focused on what other producers are doing around town, you know, or in the state or whatever, or how young somebody is when they get, you know, they do a big record, you know, that's nothing but negative, you know, emotions that, that come up from that. It's not going to do anything positive for me. I have to think about like, what have I done? You know, where, where was I five years ago or 10 years ago, you know, and how can I get better at what I'm doing? You know, because if the minute you get jealous and like, Oh, he doesn't deserve it. Well, do I deserve it? You know, how, are my skills good enough? You know, what can I learn? How can I better myself? I think guitar players and singers, same thing. I mean, so many singers think they're the shit and it's like, you're not focusing on singing. Like you, you know, you could really work on your craft. If that's your one craft, work on singing, you know, guitar players, same thing. It's like, you don't have to like practice scales five times a day, but you know, don't just play once, you know, play on Friday night and then get drunk for six days out of the week and then and then come back and play on Friday night. It's like, what can you do to make yourself better? I mean, can you, um, you know, can you wake up every day and try to write a, a song or a riff or whatever? And, you know, like, just work at it, I yeah. think. And I think if you put in the work, the cream will rise to the top. I mean, you may not be like Rick Rubin famous, you know, or Led Zeppelin famous, but... And one thing I kind of have learned from this world is that if you put your work in, um, you're going to have success, you know, at some level, you know. Yeah. 
So, because yeah, talent, talent will only get you so far. Sometimes people just have crazy talent, and um, in that, and they don't have to work at it. And sometimes people have a really great work ethic, and that that makes up for the talent. You know that maybe they they need to work on a little bit. You know, so you just you have to you just have to keep working. You can't just nothing's going to be handed to you. You know, you just have to keep doing it. I agree. I agree. And um, you know, something I've noticed uh, from my side is I've known some of those really natural guys in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and it's quite interesting because. And I'm stereotyping, but but sometimes what I've noticed is because they're so naturally gifted, they don't mm-hmm. put the work in. And the person mm-hmm. who does seem to put the work in on the other side that maybe isn't nearly as naturally gifted, they yeah. seem to almost surpass that person in a period Absolutely. of time. I'm not talking about a yeah. day, you know, but but mm-hmm. if it's it's almost like, you know, you see those old school um, scales where like you can put mm-hmm. something on either side and it's like, it's almost like you see the, the, the side where the guy who was naturally gifted starts to kind of come mm-hmm. down a little and the person who was like kind of coming through the back door starts to sl- slightly come up and it's quite amazing to mm-hmm. see. It's like, and I get it, you know, especially young as a younger musician, it's so easy mm-hmm. to get... Um, frustrated with those kinds of things but you're totally Totally. on the money because the more time you're spending focusing on somebody else you're neglecting Mm -hmm. your own self-improvement so it's like you might as well just forget about that and if it really bugs you figure out what they're doing that you like and start practicing that because you know like you're not going to benefit anything it's like you said just becomes Mm -hmm. this negative um freaking snowball effect you know yeah and so. it's going to portray it's you're, you're going to portray yourself like that to others. Oh, completely. And there isn't anybody out there that wants to work with somebody who is who who has who is negative or vindictive or anything like that. And so that can really, you know, hinder your opportunities. One good op, uh, one good example of of a you know of a, a confluence of talent and hard work would be Marin Morris. Oh yeah, uh, I started playing. Yeah, I, I started playing with her. Um, probably when she was about 14 or 15, something like that. And, um, I mean, the first time I, uh, the drummer, Cooper Heffley, who's a, again, a a fantastic drummer living in Nashville right now, but he was probably 17 at the time. And he, I knew him through a different band and he called me up and said, Hey, you know, we need a guitar player for this band, uh, but you really have to hear her sing. And I came and saw a gig and was blown away by her voice. (laughs) And, um, and I was thinking, man, she's really, really got something. You know, she'll be a star at some point. Yeah. And uh, and so I started working with her, and uh, and I was working. Um, I had a studio by myself, and I, I was also working at a uh, Bass Propulsion Labs at the time. And uh, so her parents, you know, allowed me to record her, which was great because I got to yeah. I got to hone my producing skills with somebody who was really good at singing. You know, yeah. um, but. The thing with Marin is that she never, she never was like, well, I'm so good and everyone needs to hand it to me. I mean, mm. she was writing constantly and she was singing badass shows all the time. Like, though, you know, the only time I ever heard her sing a bad show was when she was like sick as a dog, you know, <laughs> like she was really sick. And, and, uh, and so, I mean, she, it's just that consistency, knowing her craft and, and continuing to get better. And at the time, you know, 
Casey Musgraves was coming up, Miranda Lambert was coming up, and they all, you know, they all came up a couple years before Marin did. Yeah. And I never heard her be like, you know, I, you know, I hate these girls. What, what do they have that I don't yeah. have? You know, jealous. Instead, she was listening to their records. She was following their careers and what what they were doing. And you know, when we played a show in France uh, at the Equa Blues uh, Festival, which is basically a uh, Texas country music festival in France, which is really weird. But then she got to really hang out with Casey, and it wasn't like this catty thing. I mean, they were in the. They were in the back with their phones, you know, <laughs> like texting and all this stuff. That's cool. Like, you know, it, there's no there's no room for that petty competition and jealousy and stuff like that. And now Marin is, you know, clearly in that group, you know, with all these people, you know, selling millions of records and working with all the people that she that she always wanted to work with. Yeah. She could have easily gotten jealous or not worked on her craft or, you know, not written songs, just dependent on somebody else to write songs. But, you know, instead she's an amazing singer. She's a great songwriter, um, you know, and she, and her arrows just pointed up, you know, Oh and, yeah, dude. you know, people need to understand those types of things. It's like, no one's going to hand it to you. Even if you're really good, if you're best around town, you know, try to be the best in the state, yeah. you know, try to, you know, continue to get better. I agree. So, um, when she blew up, cause I mean, she's obviously one of the, biggest female country stars in the world mm-hmm. right now did yeah. you find that working on because you you did what her first album album i did two records with her two, two records. i did a yeah and she ended up moving to nashville she yeah. was getting a little um um i mean it was it was just a natural progression of really course, yeah. but you know the texas country music scene isn't the best you know for girls you look at the uh at the festival lineups and it's all like a you know, there's 25 guys, and down at the bottom, they got one girl. Oh, you know, wow. okay. And uh, you know, so it it was one of those things where, you know, the opportunity for her was uh, at the time being a songwriter. You know, and she, you know, we talked about it at the studio one day. She came over to do some demos, and and she was like, I either want to like go to L.A. and try to be an actress, or I want to, you know, go to New York and do something up there. And I was like, well you're a great songwriter. You know, you should just go, you know, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but you know, Nashville needs songwriters and you've already got your own career and you know how to sing. So if you get some writing credits and get that like baseline credibility to where you're not just some, you know, the fresh face in Nashville, but you are writing songs, you know, and then someone's going to turn to you and be like, it's your turn, you know, because you've got the whole package already. You've got those things that they want, you know? Yeah. And uh, and that really kind of ended up happening that way. I know there were a lot of other pieces that fell into place with uh, you know lawyers and you know just it takes it doesn't take me just suggesting it. It it takes a lot of other things. But yeah, she got a co-write on a on a Tim McGraw record and a Kelly Clarkson record, and and before we knew it, she was signed and you know winning Grammys. Yeah. So you know. Um, so side note, and it's not actually part of our conversation, but I'll leave it in here. Did mm-hmm. you perhaps ever get to meet or know that guy that she would work with, Busby? I think I never I think did. His name no. was Busby, because he was quite yeah, a quite so, a good producer in his own rights. You know, um, he was. And I know that she really, she really, uh, you know, loved working with him from the you know from the quotes that I've seen and the and the times that I've that I've spoken to her. Um, yeah, it was. A, tragic thing he died of cancer pretty quickly after uh yeah it was it was like no one even knew it was coming and and he was young as well man shame Mm -hmm. poor guy yeah 
So yeah, uh, I mean, it, oh, I'm sorry, carry yeah. on. No, no, I was gonna say I, I was, um, yeah, I was just so happy with her, you know, or happy for her through the whole thing. Um, I knew that, you know, I couldn't move to to Nashville at the same time that she did. And that wasn't really part of the deal anyway, you know, like yeah. I, I was still up and coming and she, she deserves to work with the best, yeah. you know, she deserves to be with the best producers, uh, that, you know, that a record label can, can afford to, to put with her and, you know, and obviously that's, that's what's, uh, happening. So, well, again, it goes back to what we were just talking about. You could have a complete different attitude to that. You could be bitter and be like, oh, you know, I was playing for her and I produced the record and blah, blah, blah. But instead you're, you're positive about it and you're, you're happy for her. And it's, it's, it's a whole different vibe. That's what it needs to be, man. We, we need to build each other up more as musicians instead of be tearing each other down, you know? And, you know, I know that people think that all the musicians are buddies and stuff, but even, even like, in in sort of current times, I still see guys doing some shady stuff and saying oh, totally. things and you just go like, man, I don't really want to be part of this conversation. And sometimes it's so awkward because you'll be hanging out backstage somewhere and things might be said, you know, when a person's not around and yeah. you're kind of in that group and you're like, oh, man, this is just awkward. Like, you know, oh, yeah. just no, just no place for it. And hopefully one day it'll fade. But given that ego is such a big part of the music industry, it probably won't. <laughs> probably not. I mean, there's, it's, it's just such a, a strange thing, this kind of business, because you're dealing with artists who, by definition, I think, uh, tend to be more emotional and, uh, and not you know, they don't exercise the rational side of their brain as much. Um, and so you, and then you have a lot of, you know, alcohol, <laughs> you know, is part yeah. of the whole thing too. So people say things that they don't necessarily need to say, including myself from time to time, but the, um, yeah. And you, and you, you lump that in with the, the fact that it's a competition. A yeah. lot of the times you know, it feels like a competition. You know, I got to be the biggest here. I got to be the biggest there, the best, and um, yeah, it can turn catty and shallow really quickly. But yeah, I I could be bitter about the Marin thing, but that does nobody any good. It doesn't do any good for her career. It doesn't do any good for my career. And and I don't really have anything to be bitter about because yeah. you know she allowed me and her family allowed me to to make two records with her. Yeah. And uh, you know that really helped my career out. And uh, you know I think and we're always going to be friends. The thing is, if I were bitter about it. You know, then I burn a bridge. Of course. <laughs> There's and Marin's the sweetest girl in the world. Why would I burn that bridge? Yeah. You know, she's never done me wrong. So yeah. Yeah, and plus having um, her blow up yeah. to the extent that she did, you know, anybody who then discovers her, if if they're anything like I am, you mm-hmm. go back and look at anything that's been recorded prior and you buy those albums yeah. and you listen to those albums and you see the progression and you go, Oh wow, yeah. I really love this song from album number whatever. So it's like yeah. it's all it's all good stuff, man. Yeah, I mean, if there was one thing to kind of be irked about is that the the it is sort of the record label thing to um, to to shelve or to pull those previous records. You know, of they want to make sure that that it's a fresh new artist. You know, and they don't want to want those waters to be sullied by anything that was happening before yeah. and all that stuff. So, really, what's out there on YouTube, you know, that includes me, is kind of live performances and some in studio performances, but. Those two records were pulled, and I think you can probably get them on eBay or something like that. Yeah, but, you know that's it's not a big deal. The the 
you know, I, that's just the way it goes. That happens with any band. Any band. You know, yeah. you're any band um, that gets signed to a major, they want that to be like the debut album. Yeah. You know, and the previous records that they did locally are just basically demos and stuff. So, you know, yeah, it's, 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 that's it's, just the way it goes. And again, you know, I could be bitter, but I, you know, if I were, then that, that completely destroys any um, opportunity that, that may come from, you know, my friendship with Marin, which Ex- is still exactly. intact, exactly. you know? <laughs> and, and, you know, um, it's, it's always so funny again, that, that particular topic, because, you know, nine times out of 10, the label wants you to look like this brand new discovery, but they also won't look at yeah. you unless you have all these numbers and a proven track record. So it's like, it's such yeah. a catch 22 bands have to do all it this really work. Is, yeah. Then they get the label, the label comes about and goes, okay, we're going to change everything about you. And you're basically starting oh, totally. from scratch. So all the years yeah. of work was almost pointless, but that's just how it is, yeah. you know? Unless you go viral so on TikTok. Bands, <laughs> yeah, and so many bands break up in that situation yeah, too. Yeah. You know, that all of a sudden they got um, a record label telling them what kind of record they need to make, and that causes friction with, within the band. So this band is has an upwards trajectory and has all these fans and all that stuff, and then they're making their debut record, and the record label wants it to be something that's not what they sound like yeah. at all. Yeah, completely. <laughs> and, uh, and the singer's like... You know, well, this is my, you know, this is my one ticket. And the, and the guitar player's like, well, I'm getting pushed out. And the drummer's like, they want to replace me. And, you know, and then all of a sudden the band's gone, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's just a shame because the, you know, the artistic people are the artistic people. And uh, the people that run the record labels usually are not the artistic people. And yeah. they're the, you know, they're very rational or the bean counters, you know. Whatever, and they're not concerned about the art as much as the business side. And those two worlds don't really, you know, interact well, you know, as you can see throughout history. And, um, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of right in the middle where I, I have to be artistic sometimes and I have to be rational sometimes. Like what – we can't have a six-minute song, guys. We, yeah. You know, it can't take us two and a half minutes to get to the chorus if this is your best song, yeah. you know. And uh, and they need that sometimes. Be like, okay, well, you're right. You know, we shouldn't start the song off with a bass solo. Oh, okay. You know, <laughs> what if we shorten the four minute bass solo to a three minute bass solo? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Why don't we take the screamy rap part out? You know, since this is a ballad. You know, <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. So Taylor, what do you what do you typically do when you're not doing music? And and I know that you're doing music all the time because you know you're a self-employed guy. So obviously you take what you can get when you can get it, but do you do anything away from music? What do you do for sort of downtime or, or, or or do you spend any time doing anything enjoyable for music rather than, and I'm not saying it's not enjoyable, but, but rather than working with music? Well, I still have a, I have my own band called Shadows of Jets. And uh, so that's kind of my outlet to write and to, um, you know, go play shows you know, where I'm kind of just exercising the, the pure artistic part of me and not like, you know, having to deal with a whole, you know, band. I do have a band, but, you know, it's all like professional guys that kind of understand that like, you know, we're playing the songs and it's, you know, no one really gets uh, too crazy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I have two boys and a wife and, uh, and so I spend a lot of time with them. Um, I love to 
um, you know, to run and to bike. I try to do something physical every day, um, you know, to kind of keep my stress levels down. Um, but I mean, basically music is my life. Um, if I'm not recording a band, um, then I'm trying to figure out, you know, what needs to happen for my band. I also play in a band called the Cutthroat Finches, Cutthroat Finches from, from Fort Worth. And, uh, which is a, a different thing cause I'm not the principal songwriter in that band. I'm just a sideman. Mm. I play guitar. Um, but they also let me be creative, which is, which is great. And, uh, so I get that live playing, um, itch scratched, you yeah. know, through cool. that. Um, but yeah, I mean, music has always been my life. I, I feel like if someone said you couldn't do music anymore, I, I really don't know what I would do that. That terrifies me more than anything else. So yeah. I just have to keep making it my life and, uh, you know, and then I'll be happy. Hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And, and let's let's kind of shift gears off of that slightly as well. So you spoke about your two boys and your wife, and uh, I don't mean to get too personal here, but yeah, how do you find the balance between family and work? Well, it's it's difficult. I mean, she is a homebody. She goes to bed early and uh, gets up early. Uh, she's a teacher um, at the school that my boys go to. Um. And it sucks because I work on the nights and the weekends primarily, you know, the, the normal waking hours is not when bands like to work, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So I, I do have to carve out those times. I have to make sure to give, you know, two or three days out of the week to the family. And, um, I have to make sure to, to give weekends here and there to the family. And, you know, Randy, who's my wife, she, um, and she demands it and rightly so, yeah. you know, she, if I don't give her time, you know, she lets me know about it. And, um, you know, really that's, that's so important to me to, to have my boys and my wife, um, you know, as a, as a grounding part of my, uh, of my being. And I can't neglect that. Of course. Um, I do. I'm sure she feels like I do all the time, but. Um, but I, she also understands that the, the type of work that I'm in is, uh, is different, you know, than what most people do. And she knew that from the moment she met me, you know, I met her when I was 19 Mm. and, uh, so we've been together, you know, we were on and off initially, but you know, we, we've been married for 15 years, I think 16. So, you know. It's, Congratulations! It's a that's that's a that's well, well, a that's you. a big um, big achievement, especially, I mean, not even just for musicians nowadays, for anybody, but uh, I mean, yeah. add, add the music um, lifestyle to it, and that's a whole different ball game. So that's that's a that's an accolade, man. Good for you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, being on tour is the hardest thing I think for a relationship. Um, yeah, and and I haven't been on tour. I did some touring back in the mid aughts with Ryan Cabrera. And, uh, that was a lot of fun cause I got to play a lot of fun places, but man, that life is tough. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's a lot of fun, but you know, right now, if I were to tour, you know, to go out for a month or two months or longer, I mean, the money would just have to be, you know, <laughs> the money would have to be there. <laughs> yeah. Because it's a, it is a hard, hard life, you know? So. Well, I like this new formula that a lot of the the rock bands seem to be imp- implementing that almost that Nashville country sort of touring system, whereby they'll kind yeah. of tour Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 
maybe a Monday night, come back, be home Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday, go back out, which man, that, that, yeah. that beats the whole, like you say, being gone for two, three months at a time thing, because like, how are you expected to last between vices and temptations and just not being there? It's, it's tough, man. It's really tough. Yeah, I mean, you know? but when you're a brand new artist, I mean, I saw this with Cabrera. I mean, we, when you're a brand new artist, I mean, they put you in the machine and you need to be on board. Yeah. You know, that's, they're, they've got, okay, we're doing this release at this time. You're going on tour. You know, you're opening for these people through for these four weeks. And the minute you get off of that, you're going to be doing this other tour. And uh, they, there's not really a consideration for home life or anything like that. I mean, it's really kind of set up for it's a young man's game, yeah. really. Yeah. And I thought about that too with Marin. I was like, well, it'd be cool if she asked me to play guitar on tour. And I, the only thing, like, it, it would be cool to be asked. It would be cool to play the shows. But in at this day and at this time in my life, be like, man that's a young man's game, you yeah. know, <laughs> you know, you got to have a, you know, guys that are 25 or unmarried or whatever that can just go and go and go. And they don't mind being away from home or not having an apartment, yeah. you know, yeah. not having kids, not having a dog, you know, yeah. those types of things, you know, cause that just doesn't, doesn't work. Like I said, you know, it's gotta be the right situation nowadays, but I'm, I mean, that's, that's why I do the producing and engineering. I'm much happier doing that. That yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah. Totally cool. Um, well, so listen, I don't want to keep you too much longer. I'm going to honor our time, but I just want to ask you two more questions if that's okay. Okay. Um, question yeah. one, uh, back to the sort of audio world here. Obviously we're living in a time where anybody with a, a decent enough computer and a bit of a, a, a microphone and a, an interface can record. Uh, not necessarily yeah. always to the best quality, but but they can do it yeah. if if they if they use their imaginations. So, yeah. just give a give a little tip to DIY musicians who are recording for themselves and they want to send yeah. files to somebody like yourself. What's the yeah. best way for them to capture audio? Now, obviously, this is a loaded question because we're not going to talk about a, a particular instrument, but just yeah. so they have a have an idea of straight out the bat, knowing that they can do a certain thing better for guys like yourself, what could they do? Well, uh, well, I mean, just making better recordings <laughs> always helps. Um, for instance, with um, uh, like drums, making sure drums are nice and in phase, um, that you're taking the care to make sure things are... Um, Sorry, they're taking taking care to make sure that that things are not peaking, you know, all over the place. They're not distorting. Um, being, you know, sometimes you get just loads and loads and loads of tracks, and they're like, "Well, sort it out for me." Like, you know, being a little bit more um, direct on what you want to play, you know, because if you have like five rhythm tracks and they're all sort of doing different things, it's hard to make that a good mix. Yeah. Um. And also, uh, uh, I mean, just attention to detail, you know, like, yeah, making sure things aren't peaking, making sure things are in phase, making sure that uh, uh, you don't have extraneous noise just going all over some, especially something that's supposed to be quiet, you know, assuming that I can just take noise out, you know, yeah, <laughs> like you, you can sort of sometimes, um, but 
you know, getting the cleanest possible recordings, um, possible, you know, just clean it up. Basically that's, that's the one big thing that I, that I learned as I was coming up. It's just, you know, once you know how to get clean recordings, then you can start committing to interesting, you know, like, Oh, I'm going to compress this in a really weird way and all that stuff. But you got to make sure that you can't start off with being crazy. Um, because it, because it, it always comes back to like, well, you know, it, it just, everything's kind of distorted now. It needs to be clear. <laughs> and you're like, okay, well, I got a bunch of distorted tracks, you know, or like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this. It wasn't recorded at all. Like you're saying that you want it to be recorded, you know, yeah. uh, just being intentional, you know, being intentional with how you're recording things, making things, making sure things that are, that are well played and in time and in tune because you can't engineer your way out of something out of tune, you yeah. know, or you can't engineer your way out of a bad performance. Of I course. mean, with drums, you sort of can, you can move things and start adding samples in and all that and make things sound way better. But guitars, I mean, with electric distorted guitars, I mean, you're kind of just stuck with what you got, yeah. you know, so play it right. Yeah. Same thing with bass. If you're clacking away on the bass and you all of a sudden want this pristine bass sound, it's like, okay, well, we... That ain't going to happen. You yeah. know, we're going to have to have a new base, yeah. you know, or we're going to do something else. You know, just a, a nice practical approach to it um, always helps. I mean, good, clean recordings. I hate to sound like an old fart because that's the thing that I read in books, you know, when I was growing up about old producers, you know, not old producers, but, you know, yeah, I know whether you it was, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, a Kramer or Ciccarelli or, um, you know, any of these guys. Or like you need like make sure you can get a good clean recording, yeah. you know. Make sure it sounds clean and nice, um, and then you can mess things up. Yeah, you know. Yeah, completely. But, and then again, you know, you can you can commit to crazy sounds too if you want to, but you know, as long you can't as, rely on that. Yeah, as long as long as like you say, as long as there's a little bit of a, uh, attention to detail, you know, they can't yeah, expect to. Detail. You can't expect a, a producer of any kind to polish a turd, you know. Yeah. Um, well, one funny thing is like, uh, there is, a another studio that, uh, the owner came to me one time and they're known for like garagey rock kind of stuff. And cool. they have their own label and all that. It's very garagey and, uh, indie and all that stuff. And I didn't know whether he was taking the piss or what, but he was like, dude, your recordings are always so clean. How do you get them to be clean? How, do, how do you get that? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. I just, that's something that I've been working on for yeah. years and years. You know, and I, and and that's the thing. Like bands would come to me after working with them and be like, "We're tired of sounding like a garage band." Yeah. You know, like we 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 actually want to make a professional record. I'm like, okay, cool, yeah. that's great. And then in the back of my mind, I'm like, how can I make things more fucked up like they did too? Oh, you yeah. know, Dude. like finding that balance. You know, like I I don't want to just make a pristine sounding rock record. I do want to have some edge. But yeah, just trying. You know, because you get different people in the band. Saying, "Oh, well, this needs to be cleaner," and you get other people saying, "Well, distort the vocals, yeah, you know, or distort the drums," and like, okay, well, we got to find the balance. Exactly, balance. And um, and then my last question for you, um, and it's again, it's maybe a little bit of a loaded question, but what do you think the best advice you've ever received in re in relation to your music career has ever been? Oh, I don't know. Um, Geez, I don't know. I mean, I I don't know of anyone that has really set me down and said, "Hey, boy, you got to do this one thing." And you know, but 
I think it's the, uh, I mean, probably just the things that I've learned, you know, of not constantly comparing yourself to other people and be thankful for what you have and what you've done and to constantly be learning. You know, I think those things are, you know, if you, if you do those things, then you'll, then you'll continue to get better and people will want to work with you. Cool. I think. Yeah. No, (laughs) I think it's great. Um, well, what I'll do is, um, I will link everything. I'll link audio style studios. I'll link shadow of jets. Sorry, sorry. Shadows uh-huh. of jets, cutthroat finches, yeah. all, all of your stuff, how people can get hold of you, et cetera, et cetera, cool. et cetera. Um, well, Taylor, that's excellent, man. Thank you so much for your time, dude. I'm sure everybody listening will get a tremendous amount um, from this and, um, just thank you for your time, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you asking me to be a part of this. Anytime, man. Let's do it again sometime. Thanks, dude. You're welcome. Sweet. Another episode done and dusted. I'd like to thank Taylor for his time. And if you'd like to touch base with him, please hit the show notes where I've listed all of his information. I'd also like to thank each and every single one of you for your time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this and I truly hope you're getting something from it. That is the goal. If you know somebody who might get something from this, please share it. Don't forget to give us a rating or a review or concerns. You can find out more about us at musicians-mentor.com. My name is Travis. You can find out more about me at travismark.com. Until next time, work hard, play hard, And believe in yourself, because I believe in you, baby. Peace.